there will always be a remnant. By the grace of God, there will always be those who remain true to God. The question of today, the question that I'll be asking over and over today in this place, uh, to myself, to all of us gathered, will we remain? Will you remain? Even if it means... You'll be all alone. Last week, as we began our series and study of Elijah, Pastor Chuck did a fine job describing the evil in the land at that time, describing the idolatry, the rebellion, the arrogance. And here was Israel. They were to be the people of God. And here was Israel. And what did it say? They were provoking the Lord to to anger because of their evil. Yet, there was a remnant. Yet, there was Elijah. In the days of Noah, it says over in Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his his heart was only evil continually. It was true in Noah's day as well, and yet there was a remnant. There was Noah. In verse 8 of that chapter, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the day of the judges, in that seemingly endless cycle of evil and repentance and evil, and it talks in judges that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, even in that, there remained a remnant. There were the judges, and God would raise up a judge that would lead Israel back, and the cycle, unfortunately, repeated over and over. Recently, we've been talking about Martin Luther. In the days of Luther, there was corruption in the world. There was corruption in the church. It seemed like the gospel of grace was lost to the earth And yet there was a remnant. God raised up Luther and others that stayed true to our Heavenly Father and true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, we look at history. In Nazi Germany, that dark day in Germany with that misguided and cruel regime. Yet even in the midst of all of that, there was a remnant in Germany You've heard the stories, a remnant of people who hid the defenseless Jews and kept as many as they could alive. There was Bonhoeffer and others who remained true to God, God first in their life. Today, our days are becoming increasingly evil. evil. 
The darkness is all around. Do you sense it? Do you feel it? In the day of Judges, it's today. People are doing what's right in their own eyes, in their own opinion. Provoking God to anger in that day. Oh, how is our society provoking God to anger? The Apostle Paul said, it's shameful even to speak of the things. The question? Will we remain true to God in our evil day? Will you? I'd like us today to look at what that meant for Elijah in his day. If you haven't already, please open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 24 of this chapter, the whole chapter. Take some notes on the outline that's provided. And today I'm going to read the passage through and I'm going to ask you to listen with a pen in hand. As I read the story of Elijah, we're going, to come, we're going to see some principles emerge from this passage of Scripture. Principles for those who remain true. And as we go along this passage, I'm going to mention them and talk about them briefly and then keep going through the passage. And after we've read through the passage, then we will look at what sustained Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17. And in the first part of verse 1, we see the first principle, and that is unexpected people. Look at verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishba in Galilee. I'm going to stop right there. Folks, that's all we know about the heritage of Elijah. Are those few short words? He was a Tishbite. Well, obviously, he was from Tishba, which was in Gilead. And that's all we know. And then when we think about Elijah, you know, in these chapters, but when we think about the New Testament, that Jesus talked about John the Baptist and that John the Baptist was going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus and the disciples were there, remember it was Jesus, his raiment changed, and he, it was white and glowing, and there were two others there, and it was Moses. We get Moses and Elijah. And all we know about the heritage of Elijah is that he was from Tishba in Gilead. And what we know, too, is that it was this unknown, unexpected person that brought a message to Ahab. Look at the end of verse 1. From Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Unexpected people are the ones that stay true to God. In the next couple verses, we learn about unexpected places. Look at verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. 
unexpected places. It's not a place where you, th- you thought you would find someone who was remaining true to the Lord. It was back east of the Jordan River, and that's where Gilead was from. That's where Gilead was, and so maybe that was close to his, Elijah's home territory. But God said, go back east, and what do you say? Hide yourself away. Withdraw away. And sometimes those who stay true to the Lord have to hide themselves away. Next we see unexpected provision. Starting with verse 4. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. For those who stand true to the Lord, unexpected provision. God for Elijah provided miraculously. Ravens were large black birds and they brought him meat and food in the morning and in the evening. Doesn't that remind us of the manna? We're going to be studying that in Exodus and how God provided for the Israelites and brought manna to them. Unexpected provision. I also think it's very important for us to see That for Elijah, it was just enough. It wasn't anything fancy. It ended up being the same every day. It wasn't a feast. Oh God, I'm I'm staying true to you. I ought to be blessed. I ought to have this feast before me every morning and every evening. And no, it was just some bread and meat brought to him by ravens. It was just enough. I think we also see another principle here that at times it's lonely. We don't know how long, how long did he stay there. Uh, we're going to see in a minute he stayed there just long enough for the, because of this drought that the brook ran dry. But there he was, east of the Jordan River, in a place where he could hide, withdraw himself, and he was alone. Lonely. At times, those who stay true to the Lord are lonely. You may be the only one. You may be the only one feeling, I'm staying true to the Lord. I'm trying to stay true to what he has to say. And God, you've put me in a solitary place. We read Elijah alone by the brook. And I guess his only visitors were those ravens that would come. He must have felt alone. And yet the reality, and we're going to see in chapter 18, he wasn't alone. It talks about uh, the the, uh, servant of Ahab, uh, Obadiah. Ahab was on a rage, and Obadiah uh, hid 100 prophets of God in caves. And so there were others 
but Elijah felt alone. In verse 7, we see that another principle, and at times it's confusing. Look at verse 7. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Has that ever happened to you? You get yourself in a place where you just feel this is where God wants me to be. This is where God wants me to take my stand. And this is where he's providing for me. And then all of a sudden, the brook runs dry. There's no more water. It would seem like the safe place, the right place, the place where God wanted you to be, it's no longer that. And it gets confusing at times. In the next two verses, we're going to see another principle, and it's this one. At times, it's surprising and humbling. Look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. At times, surprising and humbling. Surprising? This is Zarephath. What do we know about Zarephath? It is in Sidon. It was a country north of Israel. It was, Zarephath was not in the land. It was in a foreign land. And what's even more surprising about this, look over in the passage of the, just before it in, in 1 Kings 16, verse 31. And it says, uh, And as if he had been the light for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And so this is surprising. God sent Elijah to Sidon is where Jezebel was from. Jezebel, this wicked queen of Ahab. And God sends Elijah there. Surprising. Maybe a bit humbling. Why do I say humbling? Because God had commanded a widow to take care of him. And we just need to remember in those days, widows didn't take care of you. You took care of widows. For the most part, widows had nothing. The one that would be providing for them, their husbands, died and they were left alone. Most of the time, the widows were poor and needy. And God said, go there. There's going to be a widow who takes care of you. And then in verses 10 through 16, we see, it's not going to be on the board here, but we see unexpected provisions again. Look at how God provided for him. Here we are at verses 10 through 16. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, 
But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she ate and she and he and her whole and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Unexpected provision again. First at the the brook in Cherith, here here in Zarephath with this jug of oil and this, this flour that they could make bread from. Now, is there a difference? I think there is. At the brook, he was by himself, and God's miraculous provisions was for just him. Here in Zarephath, that miraculous provision spilled over to others. And as you stand alone for God, believe in his miraculous provision. Oh, it may not be a feast. It may not be all that you want it to be, but it will be enough. And sometimes it will be enough to spill over onto others. Then in this last remaining verses, we see two more, two more principles. The first one is this. As we stand alone, often it's filled with serious challenges and heartaches. Look at 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to, to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. Sometimes as we stand alone and are trying to remain faithful to God, that time can be filled with serious challenges and heartaches. You know, remaining true to God doesn't exempt us from these things. And there are times when we say, well, Lord, I'm, I'm staying true Don't I deserve to not have so much trouble? I'm remaining true to you. It seems like no one else is. Don't put these challenges before me. Why all these heartaches? Why the loss? Are you feeling that right now? As you're trying to stay true to God in your life, are you feeling that loss that comes? And when sickness shows, or the heartaches that come, And there's a principle. There are times as we remain true to the Lord that it is filled with trouble. And then also this last one here, filled with the presence and power of God. Starting with verse 20. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn? By killing her son? 
And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the wife of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Filled with the presence and the power of God. This is a memorable event. In Hebrews 11, verse 35, it talks about women receiving back their dead by resurrection in that great account of all these amazing acts of faith through the history. And this one is, shows up in Hebrews 11. These principles for those who stay true to the Lord. Next week, there's going to be some more that are going to come. Some of the principles, sometimes it's dangerous. Sometimes it's confrontational. And as this chapter is staying true to the Lord alone in solitude, the next week's chapter is staying true to the Lord out in public and before the world. Well, the question for this day is, will you stand alone? When the days around us are becoming more and more evil, we see it, we know it. When it at times seems like everyone else falls away, or everyone else wanders away. Seems at times we look around and, and people, there's people giving up. There's people compromising. There are those who would want to name the name of God who are just trying to blend in and fade into the the picture of our society. There are those who deny. Will you remain? Maybe that's at school. And it's so hard to stand alone, and it's so hard to stand true to God. Maybe it's at work. And you hear the talk, you hear what everybody else is saying, you hear the public opinion, you hear it all, and yet God calls us to stay true. Oh, for those, and I weep for you, is it in your very family And you have family members, you have loved ones that don't want you to stay true, that are tired of you standing up for the truth of the gospel. Certainly for all of us is in our society. Well, what does the standing true look like? What does it look like today? Oh, here's just a number, a few things. Uh, As we we remain true to Jesus as Lord. Well, that's easy. Well, you know what? It isn't easy. Because if we remain true to Jesus as Lord, then we remain true to his words. And Jesus said that he is the only way. There's no other way to the Father except by him. 
And do you know how unpopular that is today? I think you do. It's one of those ways where it's hard to stand up and be counted. Because as a follower of Jesus, as someone who is convinced of the power of the gospel, I'm going to declare that. That Jesus is the only way. That's one way it looks like. There's other ways when we take our stand. It means we're going to stay true to God's word. We're going to stay true to this. And we're going to hold this up as our one sole authority. And that there are no errors in this. And its message is truth. And to stand up and to remain true. is hard today. The Bible takes one hit after another. Ah, the Bible's just one book amongst the many of them. There's nothing different about the Bible than all the other books that religions have. We're going to stand up. Are you going to stand? Will you remain? It looks uh, another way, uh, true to God's morals, God's values, Oh, that's a, there's a host of those. We're going to be people who love. There are people who love to the point where it's going to cost us something. It's hard to do. We're going to be people, if we're going to hold to God's values, we're going to be people who are going to pursue justice. We're going to be those, if there's no one else doing it, we're going to be those who are going to defend the defenseless. We need to realize what that means today. We're going to be those that hold up life and value life and, and, and hold that God is the giver of life and we don't take life. And then what does that have to say about abortion? What does that have to say about euthanasia? What does that have to do with some of the moral issues, the ethical issues today? We're going to be those who stand up. are going to remain true even if it means we're lonely. And hold up God's moral values. How about God's value of purity, particularly sexual purity, as we watch the moral decline all around us? And where moral purity seems like an ancient, oh, that's an outmoded, that's way past mandate. That is, that we're long beyond that. And yet the scriptures, what God calls us to is moral purity. And it rises up and we're going to stand on that even though you may be all alone. And basically, this is summed up that we're going to be true to the gospel. We're going to stand in the gospel. In the gospel, we're going to acknowledge it quickly that I am a lost sinner. I am just as depraved, just as prone to evil as everyone else. And yet God, by his grace, reached down and rescued me and sent his son Jesus to die in my place. I believe in that. He died for my sin, and he was raised to new life. I, too, can be raised to new life. And my response is to believe, and my response is to remain, to stand. Well, what helped Elijah? 
I think we can learn from him, from some of the things that were said in this chapter. And we need to hear what sustained him, what helped him. Well, we know that God sustained him. God's the only one to do that. And yet we can also learn several things in Elijah's life that can help us. First of all, we see what sustained him was his knowledge of God. Look at verse 1 again. When Elijah said this, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. Elijah was convinced of God. Jehovah was to him a living reality. It wasn't just a concept out there. It was a living reality that he was convinced of. All around him on all sides, the open, recognition, the, the open recognition that God had ceased. Well, it was just there. That was what every... They, 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 God was just one of many. It was all around him. There was blatant disregard and blatant rebellion against God. But Elijah remained true. He wasn't swayed by public opinion. He wasn't swayed by public practice. He wasn't swayed by public reason. He was convinced of his knowledge of God. And Job was. When all those friends, false friends came around and, oh, I just did not, I know that my Redeemer liveth, Job said. His knowledge of God sustained him. How about Daniel? And toward the end of the book, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. We need to know God. It sustained Elijah. It will sustain you. There was a terrible day in the, the time of Scotland. It was called the Killing Times when... They were killing people who were remaining true to the word of God and preaching the Bible and, and holding up the doctrines of the Reformation. And, and there was a young boy who was born. His name was James Renwick. And James Renwick became the last martyr of the killing times. But even from a young boy, they noticed something different about him. And it was said of him as a child, look out for the child who says that they must find God. Their life will yet be transformed with real greatness and moral grandeur. To the children in the room, as a child, as a teenager, as a college student, the knowledge of God. Emerges out of Scripture, so it's going to sustain you. Even as a child, be on this search, I must find God, and you'll find Him through Jesus. And you'll be able to stand. I ask of all of us today are you living in this knowledge of God? As you think, is your knowledge of God today more than it was a year ago? Over this last year, did you grow in your knowledge of God? 
and who he is and what he does and what are his traits that emerges out of Scripture. You're growing in your knowledge of God. What else sustained Elijah? We also see his prayer life did. Here in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, we read most about his prayer life towards the end when it's talking about the child that, that died. And look at verse 20 when he just cried. He cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? We see his prayer life was honest. It was transparent. It wasn't holding back. He was just expressing his grief and his questions to the Lord. Verse 21, then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. We learn some about his prayer life. We learn more about his prayer life from over in the New Testament in James chapter 5, verse 17, where it says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half, three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. His prayer life. What's James 5, 17 say? It says he prayed earnestly. It also tells us that he, he had a nature like ours. We sometimes look at Elijah, this man, a great man of prayer, and look at as he must have been on a different level. He must have been different from us some way, but he wasn't. He had a nature like ours, a nature just like yours and yours and mine. And he prayed, and his prayer life sustained him as he stood alone for the Lord. He prayed earnestly. There's no spiritless praying. It's not heartless. It's not effortless. It's not just rote praying. And here in his prayer life lies one of the explanations of his assurance. He prayed in private. He prayed in public. He prayed earnestly, wholeheartedly, fervent, often. What drives us to prayer? Will the evil of our day drive us to prayer? Will those moments when we have to stand alone and the standing gets harder and harder, will that drive us to God in prayer? The scripture over and over calls us to be a praying people. Are we? Are we as individuals? Are we as families? Are we as a church? The Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. The Bible says we're to pray for one another. The Bible says we are to pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the harvest fields. The Bible says we are to pray and seek God's face. What else does this passage tell us about Elijah? His awareness of God's presence sustained him. Look back in verse 1 again. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, and this phrase, before whom I stand. 
Elijah was not only aware that God exists, he was not only aware that God is someone that he can and should pray to, he was also conscious of the fact that he was living his life in the presence of God. And that sustained him. And there he was before Ahab, bringing this message. He was standing before Ahab, but he was actually standing in the presence of one infinitely greater than any earthly monarch, and that is God himself. There he was alone by the brook of Cherith, but he wasn't alone. God was there. He was living his life in solitude before God. In the very presence of God. Here in the chapter, he's confronted by impossible need. He's impossible to heartaches, impossible trouble. But he wasn't alone. He was living his life in the presence of God, in the presence of the almighty, all-powerful God. And it sustained him. Now we talk about Elijah. Elijah was not perfect. No, he did have a nature like ours. He wrestled with all the things. And in a few weeks, we're gonna, a couple of weeks, we're going to see that there was a time in his life when he flees from Jezebel, when all of these great things were happening, but he still flees. He's afraid. He was not perfect. But he was convinced. And he daily walked in God's presence. He daily, daily recognized. He was aware. He was, we relied upon the presence of God. And I look out to us today by the power of the gospel for those of us who are in Jesus. We are one in Christ, with Christ. We are adopted into God's family. This isn't just a possibility. It is a reality for us. Because of what Jesus has done, we are in his presence. His spirit lives within us. And that awareness of God's presence sustained Elijah. And it will sustain you. And lastly, we see his attentiveness to the word of God. We see this over and over in this passage. Look at verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him and told him what to do. In verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. We see it in verse 8. We see it in verses 14 through 16. We see it in verse 24. Elijah followed the word of God. And then there are other times he's speaking the word of God. The word of God directs him. The word of God instructed him. The word of God was in his mouth. It filled his words. Oh, you might say, I, I want to be like Elijah, where he, he just seems like he heard, he knew the word of God. I want to be like that. That's my, I want to, and yet we have it, right? We have it right here. Here is the word of God to us. And our attentiveness to this word of God will sustain us. There's going to be a verse on the screen over in Amos 8. Verses 11 and 12. Let me just read these verses. You'll follow along. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but a famine, but of hearing the words of the Lord. 
They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is speaking of the, a dark, dark day that was coming for Israel. When God's judgment upon them would be even greater than it was then. This is also referring to the, the end of our days on this earth. There will be a terrible day when the, there will be no more hearing of the word of God. This is also very prophetic. But doesn't it also seem to be speaking of our day? Our day here in the United States of America where there's a famine of hearing the words of God. That's why we as a church teach the Bible. It's why we do it. That's why when we preach sermons, we preach out of the scriptures. The Bible is what we preach. And oh, I know, you can go elsewhere and you get a lot of how to make life better sermons. You can get a lot of sermons about, well, how do we make sense of current events? I know those are out there. But at Westchester, we're going to preach the word of God and apply it to our day. I stand before you and I say, that's why we have adult Bible fellowship. You know, that you may be one of those, I don't think we have any, but I've, I've certainly heard it. Well, ABF, well, that's, that's just like a, a, a quaint old program. We do it because it's a habit of our church. You know, it's kind of old school, but, well, you know, we just do it because we've always done it. No, that is not true. We do it because we need to be people of the word of God, and it is the word of God that will sustain us. It is the word of God that's going to change you, make you different, sustain you as you stand alone. So I say to all of us here, are we students of God's word? I say to you, are you a student of God's word? Would your habits in God's word sustain you if you were forced to stand alone today? Would your knowledge of God's word sustain you if you had to go to a place where you were all alone? Would your convictions concerning God's word sustain you if you had to pay great price for staying true to the Lord? First Kings 17, God's message to us today. In my conclusion, I'm going to ask if all of us would bow our heads, and I would just like to pray over all of us. Would you bow your heads, please? Oh, God, as we bow our heads before you, it is clear to us that our days are increasingly evil. Oh, God, as we bow our heads before you now, we want to remain true to you. 
though we confess at times that it's easier to compromise. Father, we confess to you that there are times when our flesh just wants to go its own way. Lord, we confess to you that at times it feels like we're all alone. Lord, thank you for the church that we have brothers and sisters that we can come alongside of. Well, Lord, I pray now that by your grace, by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the death of Jesus, which first frees us from sin and frees us from that trap of our old nature, and then by the resurrection of Jesus that brings new life to us, Lord, by the gospel, would you build in us a life-changing knowledge of you? Or if there are some here today that just, I don't know how I even, what am I supposed to know about God? Lord, that you would put them on this quest. that They would find out, convince, become assured of who you are, that you live, and you alone are God. Lord, by the power of the gospel, teach us to pray like your disciples said to you. Lord, we say to you, teach us to pray, to pray fervently. Lord, by the power of the gospel, lead us to living life in your presence. And as we do, would you build in us a love for you and for others? As we do, would you build in us a loyalty to you who is right here, and a loyalty to your truth? And Father, by the power of the gospel, cause us to be attentive to your word daily, alone, together with other Christians. Cause us to be attentive to your word. Heavenly Father, to the end, that we might stand and stand alone if it need be. In Christ's name. Amen.